Welcome to another edition of Flex Coaches Inside the Game. I'm your host, Chris Riley. Today, we are joined by a man who won four Stanley Cups with the Islanders and was the team captain of those four teams. He's a Hall of Famer and a great guy, and he joins us now. Dennis Potvin, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Chris. Uh, pleasure to be here with you. Got to ask you, how old were you when you started playing hockey? <laughs> Well, there are pictures of myself and my older brothers. I couldn't have been more than three or four years old skating in the backyard. You know, it's the same old Canadian story all over again. But uh, the key for me was that I had two older brothers that played. So uh, I thought that gave me a very good head start. Was it fun just playing with your brothers, playing with your friends as a kid growing up in Canada? It was pretty obvious right from the beginning that I, I was kind of addicted. And uh, in Canada, we grew up in an environment where, you know, the winters were very cold. Uh, the springs were wonderful. The summers were great. So I would play all the sports. <clears throat> you know, I, I'd go from, go from playing hockey to baseball to lacrosse to football and then back to hockey again. So it was a great environment for somebody who uh, I felt very, very competitive and I love sports right from the beginning. How did that help you playing other sports? You know, today everything is so specialized. How did yeah. it help you playing all the other sports? What did it do for you? Well, I, I think the mechanics are different. Obviously, when you're carrying a football, you know, it's a little bit different than skating up the ice with a putt. Uh, when you're throwing a baseball, you know, just the uh, the act of throwing the ball is not very similar to what you do in hockey. Uh, so I think, and I read this somewhere else. It's not; it didn't come from me. <clears throat> but you know, I, a lot of major athletes, you know, whether they played baseball, sometimes basketball, they talked about the fact that they had also played other sports, and therefore, everything you did was um, was relative to the sport you played, whether it was baseball, hockey, but the whole body got involved. And I think that was great when you're coming up as a young man, a teenager, and you're trying to develop all aspects of your game and your body. When did you start to realize you had a talent and a knack for hockey? How old were you when you started to realize that, you know what, maybe there's something here for me or there might be something more to this? <laughs> Uh, well, Chris, the first thing was that I was bigger than most other kids my age and, uh, skating and running. And, uh, I used to run track, you know, uh, not long distances, but, uh, you know, more sprints. So <clears throat> it, it was pretty evident that I, I wanted to win whatever I did. And, uh, the body followed and the mind followed. Uh, so I think when, Maybe the very first time I started to think about being, you know, a, say an all-star was when I was about 12 years old. Uh, I was playing for <clears throat> the local team in, uh, in Overbrook, which is the east part of Ottawa. And uh, a team came along called the Alta Vista uh, hockey team. And they were comprised of all of the best young 12-year-olds in a whole in all of Ottawa area at that time, three, 400,000 people. So they came to my house with a brand new hockey stick, brand new skates, wanted me to go play for them. 
And all of a sudden, I became part of a team that was really great. I mean, guys like Blake Dunlop, Brian McSheffrey, uh, Peter Lee, these are all guys that ended up, you know, these are all guys that uh, ended up being in the NHL. So we were an all-star team. I think at that point, I kind of started feeling, you know, we had a pretty special opportunity. Ottawa 67s come along in junior hockey. And what did that do for you as your, for your development? And, you know, it's a big step up. Junior hockey in Canada, back when you played, was much more yeah. like the NHL. Um, and, and how did that prepare you to get ready to go to the NHL? I mean, you were there, what, five years? That was a long I time. <laughs> the long, you were an underage junior when you came in. You were 15 and not 16. Well, I actually played at 14 uh, some competitive games with uh, the Ottawa 67s. And uh, th there's a major reason why that happened. First of all, I was big enough uh, because I probably was about 185 pounds at that point. But more importantly, my brother, Jean, was already a member of the Ottawa 67s. So that made it, it just like playing in the backyard. My brother would say, well, come along and play hockey with my buddies. So, you know, at eight, nine, 10 years old, I was playing against kids who were 13 and 14 years old. Uh, so that was a major step. Now, back then, as you mentioned, I played five years junior. Uh, there was no 18-year-old draft. I mean, we had to wait till 20 to be drafted. And that's why I stayed junior for as long as I did. But for me, I, I thought it was the best thing that could ever happen. Uh, because I still feel a little negativity about an 18-year-old being drafted and then put into the NHL. Uh, it's very tough for those kids, and most of them don't do very well, or they become mediocre players. Uh, that's just a feeling I had from 20 years of broadcasting and seeing a lot of the 18-year-old number one draft picks play the game, and either they, they kind of become mediocre, they get hurt, or it takes them four or five years before they can really you know, get it all together. I just think 18 and 20 are two, two years of very different psychological and physical uh, improvements that a kid should go through before he plays in the NHL. Do you think that helped you that, that five years there playing juniors? You had 329 points in your career there, which is not too shabby as a defenseman to put those kind of numbers. Yeah. In. Um, you know, you seem to be like more of an <laughs> offensive defenseman, but you're also probably very physical. Um, you know, yeah. how did that opportunity really help you develop your game? Did you model it after somebody? Did the coaches tell you to do, you know, how did it really just gel for you? Um, <clears throat> I must say I had very good coaching. When I uh, first came into junior hockey, I had already been uh, coached by uh, a couple of guys that were doing it part-time, not being paid. And uh, uh, this one coach called, you know, Coach Ducharme, he would take me out, and I guess he kind of noticed something different. I would stand at a face-off circle facing the net, you know, from the angle, and he'd say, all right, I want you to shoot 20 pucks from here, and then go on the other side and do the same thing. And he showed me a slap shot. You know, I'm 12 years old at that point. So when I got to uh, junior hockey, I felt pretty confident, you know, in the overall game. My brother was there as well, which was terrific. Uh, but, but I think what really made it interesting for me was how much I loved it. I mean, I really loved 
playing hockey, I had to go to my high school football coach and say, look, you know, you're going to have to give me some days off. And his name was Gene, his name was Gene Robillard. And he said, uh, he said, uh, if you don't make it to one practice or miss one practice, you're off the team. So the hardest decision in my life at 13 years old and 14 years old, uh, when I'd been invited to the Ottawa 67s camp, I went to my dad and I said, what do I do? I love playing football. And he said, well, son, <laughs> this is one decision I can't make for you. So I went to play junior hockey because they were paying me $17 a week. <laughs> that was big money. That was big money back then. That was big money. Yeah. Yeah. As you're coming along in juniors, did you start to notice things were coming easier for you? Was there talk around, you know, the OHL that, hey, there's this kid, Dennis Potvin, with the Ottawa 67s. You know, did NHL scouts start to notice you back then and say, hey, somebody better take notice of this kid. He's, he's, he's making waves or he's, he's doing very well. You know, I, uh, it's a very good question because I often, you know, refer to uh, my career, particularly in junior hockey. I was never a dreamer. You know, I, I didn't, you never hear me say, oh, I dream of being in the NHL. It just was not a thought. I think I learned at a pretty early age that, you know, what I had to do was, you know, be home at night before the game, uh, get ready for the game and win. I mean, winning was everything. And uh, if the team won, the better it got. And again, as I, as I moved along, I, I kept, I, I was bigger and, and I was very strong uh, compared to the other kids at that age, which was a huge advantage. And, of course, I used it to my advantage. <laughs> the intimidation. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no question. I think Gordy Howe did it very well, too. Yes. You know? so, uh, but uh, then I got to junior, and I got a fellow named Bill Long. And Bill Long was legendary coach in junior hockey. Uh, he had coached the Night Balls, Flyers, and guys like Derek Sanderson and but he never went to the NHL. I think that was his own choice. He was very tough. You know, he, he was, you know, the kind of guy that, you know, we would get off the bus at 11 o'clock at night coming from playing in a game in Montreal. And we're all trying to get to our cars. And he'd say, uh, no, we're going to have a practice. Because he wasn't happy with the way we played. No, I'm serious. Absolutely. Oh, God. Like, yeah. So he was tough. And then my last year junior, which was by far the most successful year I had in terms of goals and assists, uh, I had a guy named Leo Boyvin. And I think hockey fans will remember Leo. Yeah. He was well known for the hip check, just a barrel chested guy, strong. And it was different. He was not tough in the way that I had had with Bill Long. He was kind of like, He'd hug me, you know, and he'd say things like, Denny, you got to carry the mail. Denny, you got to do, you know. And everything was ultimately terrifically positive. So Leo also taught me patience when it came time for a hip check. And I started understanding, you know, just wait for the guy to be in a compromising position and then, boom, you can, you can go hit him. Of course, that worked in all aspects of the game. As I said many times, and you've heard me, because we work together in a booth, yep. I've often said there's no out-of-bounds in hockey. 
So somewhere <laughs> along the way, you know, I'm going to be able to find you. And that was Leo Boyman. I had my great, I had the greatest year in junior, my, my last year, and then it led to uh, being drafted by the Islanders. Let's get to that now. You're 18 years old, 19 years old, and the Islanders yeah. are going to draft you. Did you yeah. know anything about Long Island? Did you know where it was? Did you know anything about the Islanders? You know, they were such a no. new team. I mean, you know, what, what was the reaction like when you got drafted? Where you're like, oh, my gosh, okay, great, I got drafted, but where the hell's Long Island? <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, I, I may have seen Humphrey Bogart in Manhattan on television or something, and that's all I knew of New York. Certainly didn't know anything about Long Island. Uh, <clears throat> first, at the draft, there were some very tense moments because growing up in French Canada, of course, you know, my hero was Jean Beliveau and the Montreal Canadiens were just part of our, you know, Wednesday, Saturday pizza and Pepsi night. You know, we'd watch mm-hmm. the games. Well, Sam, <clears throat> Sam Pollock, the then uh, general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, made several offers to Bill Torrey so that Bill could give him the number one pick. And uh, the idea was Sam Pollock, you know, had the rights of every French Canadian coming out of, you know, coming out of Canada pretty much. I mean, in those days it was amazing how he was able to negotiate that. But fortunately, Bill Torrey turned him down. And then when I was brought down to Long Island, you know, they brought my mom and dad down with me. My brother Jean was there. He had just been traded to the Islanders. Mm-hmm. in March of 73, which was a coup by Bill Torrey, <clears throat> because Bill knew exactly how tight we were. You know, we're really, yeah. really good friends and roommates for a long time. So that really helped my decision. But the Islanders made it great. I mean, Bill Torrey, you know, the whole Islander staff. Uh, it was terrific from day one when I was introduced to Long Island. And that's when I got my first sense that <clears throat> Long Island was in my view, not a lot different than where I grew up. You know, sure, there were big parkways and everything, but there's, you know, there was beaches, there was, you know, uh, it was oceanfront, maybe not, you know, lakefront, but it was much more of a uh, an area that I had grown up in uh, than walking into Manhattan with, you know, basically all the big buildings and a lot of cement. So uh, I must say, right from the first, day I got there, I was uh, very impressed and very happy. Learning curve. Was it a huge adjustment step up? You know, as, as you move up in sports, I always say the pyramid shrinks. You know, you get to junior hockey, the best of the best are in there. Now you're a professional yeah. athlete. You're getting paid money to play. Guys, this is Correct. their living. They're making money to support their families. You don't have a family to support. You're a young kid. Was it a big step up for you? Was it a big adjustment Again, you know, I, I, the answer is yes. Uh, there's no question about it. The responsibility, you know, to, to, be, uh, to be a young hockey player in a hockey team where a lot of veterans are those kind of guys that you're talking about. You know, they've been doing it like Eddie Westfall, been doing it for a number of years and had already won Stanley Cups. <clears throat> Still today, I call Eddie my captain, my captain. He was, <laughs> he, he was unbelievable. For a guy who was in his uh, early to mid-30s at the time, in 1973, he had won two cups with the Boston Bruins, was our captain. Uh, and we had a lot of young guys coming up. I mean, you know, Dave Lewis, Andre Saleron, Bobby Nystrom, Gary Howitt. You know, we were all young guys coming up. And you couldn't have found a better person to be captain. 
and wanted us to be included. Every day after practice, he'd say, look, you don't have to drink a beer, but come and have lunch with us. And we go to this place called Lefties and have lunch. And it was great. Uh, so that took a lot of the, uh, and then, you know, with my brother being there, it took a lot of the insecurities away, you know, because I, I really felt right away, like I had true friends in the mm -hmm. dressing room, which is not easy when you're a number one draft pick, you know, everybody kind of looks at you and, you know, you're the big guy and all that, but really inside all you are is full of insecurities. But when I, when I got a chance to step on the ice, that's when I could make my points. You know, that's when I could go out and do what I thought I did best. And so once I was able to step into that arena, you know, that the 200 by 85, they're no out of bounds. That really felt like it was my domain to express myself. What was one thing you didn't know about playing in the NHL that you learned that first year? Well, almost right away, I learned how strong uh, these men were. Uh, my very first game <clears throat> in Montreal, you know, the old forum, you know, I go on left defense and, you know, I, 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 think, I think I got Jerry Hart on the right side, a veteran defenseman with the Islanders. And you look up and the guy taking the face off is Henry Rocket or Pocket Rocket Richard. Yeah. Next to him was Guy Lafleur, and on the other side was Steve Shutt. <laughs> wow. Now, I don't know if you can see this, but, you know, you, when, I, when Henry Richard has these great photos of him, you know, going down low when yep. he's going around someone, and then yep. he'd stick up that arm, and he weighed 165 pounds. I was like 210. Boom. He went around me the first time. And he, I just like, it was, it felt like a crowbar. I mean, I couldn't, I just couldn't push the man over. <clears throat> and, and it was just an indication of many, many nights when I would, you know, try to run into people. It was like running into fire hydrants. I mean, it was so different than playing junior hockey because everybody was so much stronger. That to me was the number one thing you've got to learn when you come into the NHL. And you've got to be wary of, because believe me, if you're a high draft pick, still happens today, everybody's got it for you. They're going to test you right away. So that was a very uh, interesting and a, uh, a learning curve that I had to learn very quickly, I thought. Were you intimidated at all? Going against, these were guys who probably grew up like I did. Like you, for me, my generation was, was the group we followed, you, you guys. You know, you were our hockey heroes. You know, Rocket Richard, yeah. you know, Steve Shutt, Guy Lafleur. these guys, these were probably guys you had watched on Hockey Night in Canada, you know, had, had seen, and now you're on the ice against them. Was it intimidating to, to, to face these guys as you came along? Yeah, there's no question. Uh, almost every team had those veterans, you know, that were already established in the NHL, you know, whether I'm, you know, lining up and, you know, there's Brad Park, you know, playing on defense or Bobby Orr is playing on defense and, you know, uh, go into Montreal and you've got the big three, you know, with Larry and Serge and Gila Point. Uh, yeah, incredibly amazing. But, you know, I, I the one thing I had going for me is that I, I might have been more scared to not perform than anything else. 
it, it would drive me crazy if I didn't feel like I had a good shift. And of course, my coach Al Arbor was a pretty tough guy. He let me know pretty quickly <laughs> as well. But uh, so, so not not to not to uh, perform uh, was probably my my greatest fear, you know, as a young player coming up, and especially being with a team uh, like the Islanders that I knew was growing, getting better. Uh, certainly after. You know, Bill went and got Al Arbor and installed Al as a coach. Um, so it, it was an education beyond educations for me in terms of, you know, how to, how to live your life, you know, how to be more responsible. I made plenty of mistakes along the way. But the bottom line was everything that you worked on every day was focused on being able to bring all of it you know, your emotional, your physical talents right to the ice. And Al was a good motivator in that sense. He got us, he got us going. He knew the buttons to push. How good of a coach was he? I think that's, you know, that phrase is often used, you know, you know what buttons to push. <clears throat> that doesn't seem like that hard. But if you're a coach and there are 20 men in your dressing room, even back then, probably all of us got paid a little bit more than Al did, you know, just 73, 74, you know, players for making $100,000, there weren't that many. Uh, and then he had a young team that had, he took over a team that established the worst record in the NHL history in 1972. More losses, fewer wins, most goals scored against, all of the negative stats, uh, stats. So in 1973, Al was, as I said, hired by the Islanders and Bill Torrey to become our new coach. Uh, it was my first year pro. So the first meeting I had with Al, he brought me into an office and he showed me a videotape. And I recall it was a videotape of goal against after goal against. I mean, I think it was Philly or it could have been Boston or a couple of teams. But in a five-minute video, I could, I could tell which, there was no defense and no one knew how to play. Well, in that first year, you asked me how good a coach he was. That first year as head coach of the New York Islanders, Al Arbor was able to get us to play defense well enough that I believe we still have the NHL record for the most goals against reduction, we went from like, I don't know, 360 goals against to 250 goals against in one year. And that was the basis of the New York Islanders. We were all through our, 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 our years, all through the playoffs, best defensive team you could possibly imagine because we were all trained by Al to play a very solid game. There are plenty of examples I could, I could tell you, but the one I will tell you, which I think will hit home, game one of the 1983 Stanley Cup Finals in Edmonton. Edmonton was a superstar hockey team at that yep. point with Messier Anderson. So just before the game, we find out that Mike Bossy will not be able to play. I think Mike had some, some illness of some sort. He only missed one game. So now we're in 
the Coliseum in Edmonton, Alberta, the finals, and there's Gretzky, Messier. It was unbelievable. None, nobody thought we'd ever win the series. We ended up winning the very first game. Again, I stress, in Edmonton, one nothing. Kenny Morrow scored an empty net goal. We shot out the Edmonton Oilers in that game. That was the culmination, okay, of, what is it, 12, 13 years of understanding, as Al would often say, if you're in good position defensively, you will be in good position offensively. So he didn't want to take the scoring opportunities away. But first, it had to come from the defense. Uh, and everybody played that way. It was terrific. That's a great example right there. Of, you know, it takes a while. But in those days, we had one coach for 15 years. So he had, <laughs> so different. He had plenty of time to skate our butts off if we weren't listening. <laughs> I'm Chris Riley, and you're listening to Flex Coaches Inside the Game. We're talking with Hall of Famer Dennis Potvin. Tune in for all the great episodes here with Denny.